Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn? I'm Scott Babcock and I'm here with your co-host, Daniel Mendoza. Daniel, how are you today? Good morning, Scott. Doing well. Happy to be here. Another week, another podcast. It's uh, opposite day, episode 31. My favorite number is 13. Just flip it around. You got 31. It has been a long time since you've referenced with some clever quip about the the number of the episodes. So I'm glad to hear it's back. Uh, just a little, little fun fact for the day. 13 Actually, backwards is 31. There you go. When I played, when I played travel hockey in my youth, you know, uh, People think it's Canada's national sport. That's not the case, actually. Our national sport is lacrosse. Um, I was number 31, so it's also, you know, got some history to it, too. More fun facts. I would have guessed curling. Uh, for those that haven't watched a good stone throw, that would have we been all, my We also my embrace curling. Yeah. I will also say this, Scott. Next time you're up here, when they, we, allow you to, when we allow you to cross the border, we should go curling. Having a night, going to a bond spiel, that's what they call a curling event, uh, as a ton of fun. We did it as a company party um, before you joined us. I uh, like. I lived in Minnesota, so curling is. Uh, we're close to the border there, and so curling is still a thing there. So yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, naive to the ways of the of curling, but uh, and one of my favorite winter Olympic sports for those that are wondering. All right. Without further ado, I want to jump right into a quick question. Where we're gonna. I think this is the new uh, new tradition for the way we're gonna start a show. So uh, we want to talk about. DIY home projects today. Uh, and there's a reason it, it does tie into the show. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but Daniel, what's one of your most successful DIY home projects? And what, what did you use to make it come to reality if it wasn't something you were already skilled at? I'm going to go on record by saying, number one, I'm not handy at all. And I don't really fix things. So like, if I have a leaky toilet, and I fix it, I usually stand in like this proud statue stance afterwards um, and brag about it for at least three days. Um, that being said, I, I've, I've mentioned everybody, obviously I have a nine month old daughter. It's crazy that she's nine months now because when we started this, she was two months, but uh, everybody jokes now that I've become a lawn dad. So I now take extra, extra care of my lawn. I'm very proud of it. When people compliment it, I smile and I get so excited, but you know, you can definitely find me watching, uh, you know, TikToks or Instagram videos or YouTube videos when I need to do something to my lawn about aeration, whether it's about what, what when type of year I should overseed or fertilize, spend a lot of time looking at content. I get in the grass the other day, I saw a mushroom growing. I was like, well, why the hell is that happening? What do I need to do? Found the mushroom, fix the problem over moisture, by the way. Um, so that's probably my most successful because I'm not a handy guy, but I'll tell you, my lawn is great. And everybody who came over this summer complimented it. So pretty excited about that. I, for me, I will, I'll give you two. One is really fast. It's, it's the most recent one. Um, just when you buy a new house, there's always a little something here, a little something there you want to work on. And, uh, my wife decided, uh, actually my in-laws made the recommendation that, uh, we had low toilets and we should have the higher toilets, the they have a name uh anyway but so i replaced two toilets in my house purely for aesthetics and a little bit of like comfort but uh and going into the task i fully expected the geyser of water in my face and flooded bathrooms and everything else but turns out 
pretty simple as long as you turn the water off. Uh, and that went pretty smoothly. I'll be honest there, it was just directions uh, in the box that made that pretty simple. But my favorite one, uh, because it's like a focal point in the house, is my wife also wanted a barnwood wall in our dining room. And I've always been really impressed. My dad loves to do woodworking. And as a kid, I remember he had like a big shop and he could do crazy stuff. And uh, and what what a grown man doesn't want to play with power tools and saws and stuff, right? And went through it. The thing is, the wall is curved. So uh, it, it actually has like arches built into it where this needed to go uh, into a recess. And I was really nervous about it. But honestly, it turned out awesome. We get tons of compliments on it. I get to remind my wife, like, look at what that cool thing I did to your point of like bragging about it two years later, by the way, not three days. I'm still going on. Uh, but yeah, so that for me, that was my favorite. We put up a, a barnwood wall uh, in our dining room. So we mentioned that this is going to be a tie into the show. We want to give you what our topic is today. We're talking about just in time training, specifically when you're in the in the mode of doing something, you need to find out how it gets done. We're going to talk a little bit about what content works well there, how to bring it to life, when do folks tend to want to use that material, uh, and just overall, how as an L&D partner can you bring it to life for your learners? All right, we're going to start today, similar to a lot of other episodes, um, defining just-in-time training. So what is it? When do you use it? How do you use it? So it's exactly what, what it says. It is training in the moment of need just in time when you um, are in need of that if you need something quickly if you need it fast for the the topic or the activity that you're completing in that time um, how can we get training just in time uh, to make sure that you have it in the moment of need scott anything else to add to <coughs> your definition of it and that's our phrasing for it we call it just in time training i think you will hear it called other things it could be called on demand training it could be called offline training um, you know, don't get too caught up in the naming convention. Let's focus more on the definition of it is that thing that you need in the moment you're actually trying to accomplish a task and you need information to do so. It's where do you get that information and what are you pulling up and how are you using it? That's really what we want to focus on today and how you bring that to light for a learner. So let's talk about why just-in-time training is important. And specifically, when do you use it? How do you use it and why, right? And we'll give some examples that we can think of either from what our clients do or even our personal life. And obviously the DIY examples that we opened the show with are a good lead-in to that. Um, with both Daniel and I, whether it's working on the lawn or wanting to do home improvement, uh, websites like howtos.com, uh, which is one that I've been using, I think, for ever I feel like it always comes up in Google searches when I'm like how to uh, replace a toilet or whatever that might be uh, they always come up with tons of information uh, on this but it's it's I'm doing something I'm not familiar with uh, or that I haven't been trained on or haven't done frequently in the in the recent past and how do I accomplish that task and so folks are going to go to um, these resources if they're not available in your training site they're going to go out externally and find these things on the internet that obviously comes with some risks. We're going to talk about risks and pitfalls later on in the episode, but um, wanting to control that narrative and make sure folks are doing it the right way for your business or organization is really important. Um, but they're trying to learn how to do a task. And if you don't have the resources available, they will find somewhere that does. 
Um, so we want to make sure that we understand that's what that need that's driving someone to go look up for this information. Dana, do you have a good example of maybe something from our client base or, or recent examples that you've seen uh, where someone needed just-in-time training and, and ways we provided something to them? Yeah, I think a lot. Um, with our clients who work in retail specifically, just-in-time training is a very um, popular need, especially nowadays. Um, there, there was always that stigma that if you saw a sales associate or someone in retail on the floor with their, their phone out, um, they were just goofing around on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. That obviously has changed. With that being said, right now, um, people use just-in-time training to, to create a positive customer interaction in a situation where maybe they don't have information accessible in the store. So I think it's similar to a lot of things in life where you don't have um, things readily accessible or you haven't committed them to memory uh, and you have the ability to, to bring them up and use them um, one to either train on something and learn quickly or to, to interact with that customer. So a lot of our retail customers are using the ability to scan a product's barcode and pull in information or just quickly look up um, in their LMS's application, any sort of information that they can help that customer interaction become more fluid. Um, and you know, there's so much data out there about positive customer interactions that anytime you can use those sorts of training, um, aspects to create a more positive experience, which should create more sales later on, um, is, is a great way to use just in time training to make sure that, uh, you're, you're helping the customer and, and that interaction be as, as great of an experience as possible. You know, another good example, right, is we've talked about, you know, Daniel mentions the customer interaction, having data at your fingertips, being able to speak more intelligently to your products um, in, in a quick manner uh, based on questions. But, you know, another area of this is just to be efficient in your processes. So maybe you don't have client interactions per se, uh, but you run software or you, you know, run analysis uh, and you need to know how to do a series of steps within that software. Like these are other areas where job aids, quick teaching moments, the ability to quickly access uh, information. You know, if we want a real world example that we've probably all been frustrated by, but have had the interaction, think about any tech center call center uh, that you've ever called to get support on a product or uh, again, a service or something like that. Those folks are working from a true just in time manual. Uh, you've asked a question, they type that in, they're given back a series of articles, documents, features that they can go through step-by-step. Step. How do we troubleshoot that? How do we triage that? Um, that is just-in-time training for those folks. It's information at the moment of need uh, across a, a pretty vast library of options that uh, is like a choose-your-own-adventure almost because they don't know what the next call is going to be about. And they probably can't be proficient on every nuanced feature or element or regional uh, difference or preference. Um, these are really great places for people to have that information at their fingertips. And it applies to a, a, almost every job uh, on the planet, I think, that you need some of these materials uh, in those moments where you're like, man, I, I forgot step seven and I need to know what it is. It, having that available, one, puts me as the, as the employee, more uh, makes me more comfortable that I know I can get to the material. I don't have to feel I'm, I'm on an island, um, but probably also is just improving my efficiency that I'm not having to go hunt for it if it's made readily available. And that's one of the things we'll talk about in our next segment. I think, I think the, the readily available thing is a, is a big part of the success of just-in-time training is, is 
<clears throat> when you are talking about creating a library of, of content for just in time, like there's also the risk there that if someone's looking for something and it's not there, like there is, there is that, that cause of friction. So I think formats and, and, and I guess when we get into it a little bit later, but making sure that, that you are able to um, stock the shelves per se of, of the available training. All right, so we've established that one of the most important things is accessibility, the ability to get this quickly, on demand, when you need it, in the moment of need. But what what makes good just-in-time training? What are formats? What are some things to think about in the way you've assembled your training, organized it, created it, things like that, that will make this work better for the learner in terms of that quick access point? Uh, one of the things that you really want to focus on when it comes to just-in-time training is uh, you're looking at quickly consumable content. So you're looking at short consumption, easy to digest, fast uh, absorption of that material, uh, and the ability to quickly uh, disseminate that information out when appropriate, a la the client interaction. Areas where this works really well is obviously short videos, PDF documents, job aids, one-pagers, things like that. So keeping your format, the true actual file format, in a way that is easily consumable uh, and readily available is going to be the easiest. These are also things that are going to be easy to download, typically. Um, when we think about things like SCORM or something like that for an e-learning, it's difficult to put that, almost impossible, really, to download that to your machine uh, unless you have an offline player for that content in some way. Now, if your platform allows for that, that's awesome. Uh, and that would be something. But the average user doesn't have just a Scorn player app on their phone, right? So they're not going to be able to just play this material readily. So think of formats that are easy for them to download, put on their device, and take with them back out on the floor if they need to. Dana, do you have some other uh, kind of thoughts on formats that uh, other things to think about? Yeah, I think 30,000 for view, um, think microlearning. Um, you know, ability to get small bite-sized chunks of information um, quickly. That's, that's I think, the, the big thing. And that's why when you talk about, you know, no text-driven uh, thing, <laughs> things you can engage with content quickly. We talk about video training uh, in the past, being able to get um, a large amount of information um, in a short period of time. Uh, sometimes there's there's limitations, and but, but the reality of it is um, it's a good way to get that information across. Um, other formats that are great, I think are, are, are quick, you know, audio snippets or clips, uh, that you can get in there. So if maybe they're quick selling features, maybe they're overcoming objections that could be in an audio format that you could just listen to quickly. Um, maybe a new product in store. If I want to stick on the retail, uh, wagon, I mean, black Friday, I guess black Friday is a little bit different this year. Uh, it's extended over time and, and online and digital to try to avoid crowds, but, um, it's Black Friday. A new product comes in store. Um, you need to be ready to sell it. How can I, you know, listen to a few audio clips about it? So I think I think video is important, obviously, um, but bite-sized chunks of information that is straight to the point. I think that's the big thing. We can't uh, wishy wash around with marketing speak and fluff. Um, you know, bite-sized chunks, micro learning, straight to the point. Yeah, and I like where you also mentioned. Uh, you know, like not heavy text, right? So don't think paragraphs, think bullet points. That's the, and look, that's typically going to be good for a lot of our digital content training in general. Um, but you, do, if you are presented with this uh, white paper on how to sell, you know, this TV or whatever it is, uh, 
you're going to immediately go find the one that's quicker to consume and easier to digest and look for the element of the question you were asked. So make sure that you're not presenting these long written paragraphs, but rather keep it short, chunked up. One of the things that I think really is important with that as well is think vi visuals when you're talking about this, especially if you plan on your content being customer facing. When we talk about marketing speak and, and kind of the fluff that might go into it, the visuals actually make it more appealing. Having just-in-time training that you can pull up and feel comfortable that it looks nice if you are going to show it to a customer is really important. So make sure you're thinking about that as well. Um, and don't be afraid that the picture can tell the story too, right? So uh, one great example of truly just-in-time training is any direction you've ever gotten for furniture assembly or any of those. Uh, so if you've been to Ikea as an example, uh, almost every instruction that they have on how to build the desk or the bookshelf that you bought has zero words on it. Now, sometimes that can be frustrating too. I don't want to say it always works, but if you have well laid out pictures, that will actually show you your step-by-step -step instructions. Um, it's just another example. We see those all over the place. Uh, we've talked in the past about like uh, when you get on an airplane, there's always a, a pamphlet on what to do in the case of an emergency and almost all of it is, is picture driven. Uh, think about those as ways to do infographics uh, or visual support to those words to kind of trim down and keep the text light in those elements as well. All right, so we, we know that just-in-time training is a benefit to your learners. Uh, it has real-world implications in terms of how they're going to be able to perform or do their jobs better. But are there pitfalls? Obviously, we there are. Uh, there's some things you want to avoid in terms of being successful uh, and, and making sure that you're not putting up barriers or you're, you're navigating and breaking down some of those roadblocks for your learners as they approach what is just-in-time training. We want to make sure we highlight some of those so that you can avoid them so that you can have a more proficient uh, library of content for just-in-time training as well. Uh, the first one I'll say is, uh, we've talked about it kind of repeatedly, but let's talk about what it means, is you need to have ready access to your materials. So when that comes up, what we mean is, uh, what happens if the internet is down or they're in an area, maybe they're technicians going out to a location or a, uh, a home where they don't have ready access to Wi-Fi? Can they still get these materials in some kind of offline format? Now, that's not always easy to do. Not every system or platform will allow for it, but it's something to consider. Is that a need for your organization, for your learners? And how do they get that material? We talked about if they're going out on a job to do, let's say, install a television, can they download these materials to their phone when they have access so that they will be readily available to them in the moment of need later? Is it something they can, um, again, access or sync with offline? There are systems that do allow for that. Not every system does. Um, but make sure that we're giving them the opportunity to have that material. So again, when the there's nothing worse than when you don't have the internet and you need that information and you have no way to get it, that that can cause a lot of anxiety for someone who's trying to perform a job uh, and do it well and, and look the part of a professional, right? And uh, it will definitely put you at a disadvantage. And that is just an uncomfortable place for your learners you don't want them to be in. Yeah, I think when it comes to, I mentioned it earlier, like the, the concept of just-in-time training is allowing content to be readily available in the moment of need. I think one of the biggest issues that you can run into is there not be content available in that moment. So, you know, what does it actually look like if somebody is looking for content about a product, about a process, um, about, you know, a DIY item, and when it comes down to it, that content's not there. Um, <clears throat> so it is important to 
make sure your library is stocked full of content, but also there's different ways that you can help improve that um, by allowing users to generate content on their own, um, create different items and, and empower your users to help with the just-in-time training, quick snippets or things that they can add to the platform. Um, because we all, it's like going to the fridge and then realizing there's no food. Um, if, 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 you, if you need something, you're going for it because you need it. And if it's not there, it can be very discouraging overall and, and can potentially affect your learning culture in a negative way. And I think that's, that's something you have to consider um, is making sure that if you're going to commit to opening up, um, opening up the just in time well to your employees uh, or your team members, you have to make sure that the well is, is full. One of the things that then comes with that is if it's not, if you haven't established some piece of content that is needed, they're going to go outside of your platform to find it. They're going to find this lovely site called Google and they're going to type in their question and, and Google's going to kick them back a result. The reality is there's a tremendous amount of content out there and that can actually be a way to bolster your library. So one of the things you can do is find YouTube videos, uh, find a review site that does uh, interactions with someone who's, who's doing video reviews uh, of your information. Again, how-to vid manuals, those exist. There's no reason not to utilize them if they're already really good in quality and you've kind of vetted them out and said, this is something we would do. But with that comes some risk inherently as well. When you use external content that you don't own, you do need to constantly groom your catalog because if you're using links out to YouTube or to, um, you know, a video review site or whatever that might be, uh, it manufactures websites even, if they take down the video, you now have broken links in your platform that can be just as frustrating or more than uh, not finding anything is finding something and then have it be broken. So you, you will have to groom a lot more if you choose to use external content. It can be a great way to bolster that library and sort of fill the cupboards uh, for that analogy of, of looking for food. Uh, but you do have to make sure that it hasn't gone and expired on you uh, and, and hasn't been pulled down and make sure that that's one of the things you're also doing. I think like, I know we have a, we have a customer that has like 7,000 pieces of content on their LMS and um, obviously a massive amount of, of content. And the difficult thing about, like you mentioned about, about all of that is, is man managing it and grooming it and making sure it's it's managed and, and if you're thinking about you know you're just in time training library if you have individuals who you can leverage to groom through that content whether it's by department by segment on your team uh, maybe it's even the users in, themselves can flag and say things that um, flag things that are unrelevant um, it, it's a good thing to make sure that 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 content is groomed and up to date as much as possible And lastly, just something to think about is we talk about in the moment and at the moment of need, how do you get to it? Like, that's another huge part. Um, do I have to open my app, log in, search, cruise through a, a series of content, click, open, read? Or can you find ways to improve that barrier? So Daniel, and, and again, we have a client that utilizes this, uh, has their LMS can be opened with... Uh, scanning a barcode and pulling back information directly related to that. Now, granted, you have to set up all the information that triggers that that barcode means this and linking a lot of content. Not to say there's not a lot of back-end work that has to go into make sure that that is all tagged appropriately, 
But that's a really frictionless environment where, again, a quick scan of a code brings back information. There's no logging in. Uh, there's no typing search. There's all of those. Again, anything to reduce that time to content is a great way to improve that just-in-time experience as well. So make sure you're thinking about what are the friction points to get to my content and how can we alleviate those. So just-in-time training, obviously super important to your learners. It's how they feel comfortable. It's what makes them successful in the in the day-to-day. -day. Hopefully this provided a little bit of information for you to be uh, better enabled to bring that content to light for your learners, give them some action steps, hopefully give you some tasks to help make it an easier experience. Just-in-time training has tremendous impact for your, for your employees, and it's a growing more and more trend uh, we're seeing in the industry as well. We like to end every episode, as you know, with a, a happy point, a positivity point, uh, something that brings us a little energy in the world. Uh, lately, I feel like uh, we're finding these even more easily. Hopefully, that's a good sign as we as we head into the back half of the year. Um, so I'm going to let Daniel go first, mix it up a little bit. I always seem to just hog the mic on this. So I'll let him go first, and then I'll follow up after. Awesome. Scott, it's Masters Week. I know you and I are both golf fans. Um, it feels odd that it's not on Easter weekend or some other, um, you know, cold or brisk weekend, uh, in April, but, uh, I'll take it. Uh, COVID-19 has messed up a lot of things, uh, moving things around, but, uh, I, I will take the fact that it is here, uh, in November. Um, I still think one of the greatest sports moments I've ever witnessed is Tiger winning the masters two years ago. Um, was that two years ago? Was that, that, that was, was last, last year. year, last year, buddy. It, really COVID throws us off man like time oh, is I guess I, it's been it's been 18 months since it, it has been that's, almost that's, two years that's, since that's why it feels but I'll tell you what I like I was got a little uh, choked up I got a little emotional when he hugged his his kids and his mom and 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 <coughs> my wife was like what what is wrong with you like why are you and I'm just like I'm, I'm this, is, this is touching this is emotional Tiger's gone through some, some stuff like I'm happy he's back but no Masters Week for some reason of all the golf um, that I watch all the majors it is just the pinnacle I feel like people who aren't golf fans flock to it and watch it um, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping for a nice Tiger charge with it you know a nice red Sunday red on on uh, on Sunday so I'm looking forward to to the Masters this weekend the best part about the Masters and I could have easily used this as my positivity point as well because I, I it's my favorite tournament of the year and it will feel a little weird uh, but my my favorite part even if you don't love golf I encourage you to throw it on on a Sunday find an early afternoon settle in on the couch listen to Jim Nance subtly lull you to sleep as they go to commercial and the piano's playing and it's beautiful scenery it'll be the best nap you've ever had it is I, I live for my Sunday afternoon nap and then you wake up to watch the final charge towards the actual green jacket. Again, you'll never be more relaxed. You'll never have more rest in your life than you will when Jim Nance lullabies you to sleep. It's my favorite time of the year for that alone. It will be weird to see, you know, normally it's the bright colors of the azaleas and beauty, uh, tons of blooming color around the greens. It's, it's going to be more... Like no, it's going to oh, be yeah. falling leaves and changing fall colors, which will, you know, I'm sure still be lovely. Um, but yes, it's 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 the best tournament of the year. I don't really know why. I can sit and watch golf all the time, but I do love the Masters in a very special way. There's so much history and uh, the storylines are always great. And it's just always it's such a big event. So I do love that, but not where I'm going to go on my positivity point, although I just spent a good chunk of time making sure I added on to there. Uh, 
this last weekend we had our first basketball tournaments or basketball games, I guess, for my boys. Uh, switched from the fan chair over to the bench to do some coaching. Um, and we, we went one and one. We had one kind of blowout. It was a tough, tough, tough show. Uh, my son is definitely not the tallest on the team, but he was up to about the waist of a couple of the kids. So uh, it was tough sledding uphill, but he had a great time. And then in our other league, uh, my friend or my son plays with his best friend. Uh, couldn't have more fun watching those two who are just as competitive with each other as teammates as they ever were as opponents. Um, it, it gets a little contentious out there if, if somebody's not moving the ball as well as they should or whatever. Um, but uh, that's what best friends are for to drive you to be better. So they had a great time. I had a lot of fun coaching. It's just, it's a different world to be able to contribute that way and, and kind of be a part of it that in that direction. So uh, a lot of fun. My Saturdays are going to be busy uh, and just enjoying that with, with the boys. So uh, that, that made me happy this week for sure. Awesome. I, I, I want to add one more little, little story. It made me laugh. I was on, I was on a client call yesterday. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting there and he goes, he goes, before we start the call, he's sitting there and goes, so Daniel, last night I'm laying in bed, listening to one of my favorite podcasts, by the way, it wasn't, if you build it, will they learn? But he, he, he said, I'm laying one and he goes, obviously I'm a subscriber to your, to your podcast. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Um, and he goes, he goes, I fell asleep in bed and woke up at 4am to your voice in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I died laughing. He was like, he's like, it was, I thought I was on a Haylight conference call. It was the creepiest thing ever, but um, I've obviously listened, but it just like automated through episodes he hadn't listened to. And it went to one and he said, it was just your voice in my ear. And it was creepy and it made me laugh. And I thought I'd tell you. So I was, I was, uh, I was laughing at that. I thought I'd end that with a, with a good story. A good way to end the podcast. And FYI, we will we'll take the listens however we get them, even if you're asleep uh, and it just happens to roll into our episode. That's that's fine too. So we'll take that. All right, that will do it for us today. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.